This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. China announced more military drills around Taiwan as the self-governing island president uh, met with the U.S. members of a congressional delegation on Monday threatening to renew tensions between Beijing and Washington after a similar recent visit by the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi angered China. Pelosi was the highest level member of the U.S. government to visit Taiwan in 25 years, and her trip prompted nearly two weeks of threatening military exercises by China, which claims the island as its own. In those drills, Beijing fired missiles over the island and into Taiwan Strait, and sent warplanes and naval ships across the waterway's midline, which was long been a buffer between the side that splits amid the Civil War in 1949. China accuses the U.S. of encouraging the island's independence through the sale of weapons and engagement between U.S. politicians and the island's government. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration now says that it is reducing the number of flights around New York City we get more details from AP correspondent Ed Donahue. The reason? Lack of staffing. The airlines and the FAA have traded blame for flight delays and cancellations this summer. The agency says departing and arriving flights could be delayed up to two hours at Kennedy International, LaGuardia, and Newark Liberty airports. Many of the complaints by airlines have focused on a flight control center in Jacksonville, Florida. The FAA has promised to increase staffing there. The message to passengers in the New York City area is check with their airline for information about particular flights. I'm Ed Donahue. And you can find more at voanews.com. Again, that is voanews.com. This is VOA News. The criminal probe of the 2020 election heats up for Rudy Giuliani. We get more details from AP correspondent Lisa Dwyer. Prosecutors in Atlanta have told Rudy Giuliani's lawyers that he is a target of their criminal investigation into possible illegal attempts by then-President Donald Trump and others to interfere in the 2020 general election in Georgia. Giuliani's lawyer says that the special prosecutor sent notification that the former New York mayor, later a lawyer for Trump, is a target of the investigation by Fulte County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Willis has said she is also considering calling Trump himself to testify before the grand jury. The former president has hired a criminal defense attorney in Atlanta. I'm Lisa Dwyer. The top U.N. envoy for Yemen says that he is intensifying efforts to achieve an expanded truce between the warring parties that will hopefully lead to the start of talks on a ceasefire as well as preparations for resuming a Yemen-led political process. Hans Grunberg told the U.N. Security Council on Monday that the August 2nd agreement by the internationally recognized government and Houthi rebels to a two-month extension of the truce that began April 2nd continues the longest pause in fighting since Yemen's civil war began in the year 2014. He also warns that failure to extend the truce will lead to renewed violence. Authorities say that migrants were stopped fewer times at the U.S. border with Mexico in July than in June, a second straight monthly decline. Flows were still unusually high, particularly among nationalities less affected by a pandemic-era rule. Title 42 that denies migrants legal rights to seek asylum on grounds of preventing spread of COVID-19. In theory, Title 42 applies to all nationalities, but... 
Cost diplomatic relations and other considerations usually dictate who is expelled under the public health authority. Customs and Border Protection says authorities stop migrants early nearly 200,000 times at the Mexico border in July. That is down 4% from the month of June. Recapping our top story, China has announced that more military drills will occur around Taiwan as the self-governing island's president meets with members of new U.S. congressional delegations Monday, threatening to renew tensions between Beijing and Washington after a similar recent visit by the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also angered China. More at VOANews.com. Via remote, I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Today is Tuesday, August 16th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, China announces more military drills around Taiwan as the U.S. congressional delegation leaves Taipei. China quickly announced additional military drills around Taiwan in response to the bipartisan delegation in Taipei led by U.S. Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat. Ukrainian forces report heavy Russian shelling and attempts to advance on several towns in Donetsk. Russian forces are operating in a sort of ad hoc organizational structure across the front line. It's very fluid and it's not in line with what we know about Russian military doctrine. And tension in Kenya as election chief declares William Ruto president-elect. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. China has announced more military drills around Taiwan as the self-governing island's president met with members of a new U.S. congressional delegation. The announcement threatened to renew tensions between Beijing and Washington just days after a similar visit by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi angered China. For more on the mood in Taipei, I spoke with VOA Seoul Bureau Chief Bill Gallo, who was just in the Taiwanese capital. U.S. delegations visiting Taiwan are nothing new. Senior U.S. lawmakers even have regularly visited Taiwan really every few months for a long time. What is new here is China's response. But it seems they're raising the standard as far as what they will respond to when it comes to U.S. moves toward Taiwan. The Taiwanese people are largely continuing to go about their lives. The thought here is that uh, the Taiwanese people are showing defiance to China by not being threatened. Essentially, China is trying to threaten them, but they refuse to be scared. Now, this has positive and negative aspects, of course. There is a potential hypothetical situation in the future where the Taiwanese people would need to fight and defend Taiwan. So would they do that if they were so sort of lackadaisical about the situation? I know many analysts and even officials in Taiwan who would be concerned about that. However, it seems that sort of the best move in the minds of the Taiwanese people is to sort of just shrug this off, to continue going about their lives as normal for Taiwan's government. They definitely want to keep welcoming these congressional delegations from the United States. And many other countries, by the way, are planning senior sort of lawmaker delegations to Taiwan 
the idea here is that they will not be sort of forced into a corner by China, that they will not let China dictate their foreign policy or whatever they act, even though China is much more powerful and is sending very threatening signals. With this new move of China starting another drill, no matter how small, any time a U.S. delegation visits, is this a new normal? It seems like, it sure seems like that is a possibility. And, and, you know, that is concerning just on a strategic level because it forces Taiwan's military to respond more frequently, to sort of be on edge more often. It obviously doesn't have as many military resources as China. So every time that, that China sends these jets very close to the de facto sea border or does any other kind of drills, it feels the need to respond. It sort of exhausts those resources. It increases the chance for miscalculations, of course. I mean, you know, wars don't always start on purpose. Sometimes they start accidentally. And this is a concern when you have lots of high-powered military equipment operating sort of in close quarters with one another in a very sensitive area. That's VOA so Bureau Chief Bill Gallo. A second group of U.S. lawmakers have left Taiwan after meeting with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and other officials the visit followed a similar one recently by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. More from VOA's Chief National Correspondent Steve Herman in Washington. China quickly announced additional military drills around Taiwan in response to the bipartisan delegation in Taipei led by U.S. Senator Ed Markey, a Democrat. State Department spokesman Ned Price told reporters on Monday these responses continue China's overreaction to such visits. Some 10 or more congressional delegations have visited Taiwan uh, this year alone. Members of Congress visiting Taiwan is entirely in line uh, with our one, uh, our longstanding One China uh, policy. China's ambassador to the United Nations, Zhang Jun, said Monday the congressional visits are a provocation and a change to the status quo under which Washington recognizes Beijing, not Taipei, as the sole legitimate Chinese government. And for China, definitely, we will continue to do whatever we can to defend our sovereignty and territory integrity. The ambassador added Beijing's countermeasures, namely continuing military drills and cutting some bilateral cooperation with the United States, are justified and legitimate. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. Ukrainian forces reported heavy Russian shelling and attempts to advance on several towns in the eastern region of Donetsk that has become a key focus of the near six-month war, but said they have repelled many of the attacks. The general staff of Ukraine's armed forces also reported Russian shelling, of more than a dozen towns on the southern front, particularly the Kherson region, mainly controlled by Russian forces, but where Ukrainian troops are steadily recapturing territory. Catherine Lawler is a senior analyst with the Institute for the Study of Wars and joins Flashpoint Ukraine's host Steve Miller to discuss their their organization's latest assessment of the war. Russian forces are operating in a sort of ad hoc organizational structure across the front line. It's very fluid and it's not in line with what we know about Russian military doctrine. But what we're seeing is that Russia has arrayed its forces unevenly along the front line in six general groupings. We think that each of these groupings has a separate commander. We're not totally sure on that. And the disposition of those groupings 
seems to reflect the Russian prioritization of their various efforts. So moving from north to south, I and my colleagues assess that Russian forces around Kharkiv city and northeastern Kharkiv oblast may have fewer forces deployed in that area, but their primary objective is to prevent Ukrainian forces from reaching the Russian border, not to advance dramatically from their current positions. Along the Izium and Slavyansk line, we've seen Russia commit largely volunteer units, most of which are poorly trained and poorly resourced, alongside a few detachments from the Eastern Military District. And their objective is to encircle Ukrainian forces and capture the rest of Donetsk Oblast, but they aren't making much progress, likely because they're relying on these untested volunteer units, which have very little actual combat power. And Ukrainian forces have conducted some successful counterattacks in that area, likely because of the low Russian combat power that's been deployed. Around Seversk and Lysychansk, we've seen Russian forces drawn from some of their proxy forces in the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics and from the Central Military District. Around Bakhmut, we've seen members of the Russian private military company, the Wagner Group, are actually in the lead on that axis, which is pretty unusual, and they may be driving recent Russian successes in that area. Around Adivka and around Donetsk City, we mainly see proxy fighters. Those forces have made limited advances, but may not be a priority for the Russians right now. And then the area I find most interesting right now is southern Ukraine, where the Russian force disposition is really diverse. The Russian military leadership has likely rushed a mix of forces to this area away from other axes to defend it against an expected Ukrainian counteroffensive. Speaking of that southern area of Ukraine that you find so interesting, you mentioned a diversification of Russian forces there. And I was wondering if you could expand upon that just a little bit to maybe explain what kind of challenges that may pose to the Russian forces encountering Ukrainian resistance there. Doctrinally, Russian forces are supposed to be organized among five military districts. And all of those districts have deployed forces to Ukraine, but a lack of centralized coordination seems to have been a problem for the Russians since day one. It's not that forces from the central military district are all in one place and only working with other forces from that district. And the overall command has probably been split between district commanders. There have been attempts at appointing an overall commander for the war that has not been successful for them. And the Russian command structure remains very very unclear to independent observers like ISW and is likely pretty opaque even to Russian forces on the ground. It doesn't help that their commanders keep dying or getting themselves fired. And the military districts are intermingled at every echelon, which leads to this ad hoc structure that I mentioned. So in the South, we see forces from most of the military districts and other types of units all trying to work together, but the command structure is not clear. And we assess that that mixture of forces may actually create problems for the Russians in that area if Ukraine attacks. That's Catherine Lalo, a senior analyst with the Institute for the Study of War, speaking with Flashpoint Ukraine's host, Steve Miller. UN spokesman Stefan Dujeric said on Monday, the world body has the logistics and security capacity to support a visit by International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors to Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant if both Russia and Ukraine agree. Both nations have traded accusations about shelling near the plant, which has sparked widespread fears of a nuclear accident. Lejarich was responding to an accusation by Russia that the UN security had blocked a visit by IAA inspectors to Europe's largest nuclear power plant, which Russia seized in March after invading Ukraine on February 24th. UN spokesman Stefan Dujeric. There have been repeated comments by various Russian officials accusing the United Nations Secretariat of having either canceled or blocked a visit 
by the International Atomic Energy Agency to the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant. I want to clarify a few points. First, uh, the IAEA is a specialized agency that acts in full independence in deciding how to implement its specific mandate. Second, the UN Secretariat has no authority to either block or cancel any IAEA activities. Third, in close contact with the IAEA, the UN Secretariat has assessed that it has in Ukraine the logistics and security capacity to be able to support any IAEA mission to the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant from Kyiv, should, of course, uh, the Ukrainian and Russian authorities agree. That's UN spokesman Stefan Dujeric. NASA researchers are studying what they call, quote, Mars-like, unquote, salt lakes in Western Australia in their hunt for extraterrestrial life. Experts from the United States say the region, with its pink-hued water and distinctive trees, is more like Mars than almost any location on Earth. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. The Yilgarn Craton is a vast mineral-rich region, about 400 kilometres east of Perth in Western Australia. Yilgarn is a word used by the area's indigenous people to describe quartz. The region has been the focus of exploration and mining, but scientists believe it could harbour clues about the universe and life on other planets. Western Australia's acidic lakes are said to mimic conditions on ancient Mars. Three billion-year-old rocks in Western Australia are some of the oldest on Earth, and academics believe they're about the same age as those on the Red Planet. A team of U.S. experts supported by local indigenous elders are investigating how so-called hypersaline environments, or places with lots of salt, are not only present-day ecosystems, but how they preserve a record of the past. Associate Professor Brittany Schmidt is from Cornell University in New York State. She told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that the project is funded by NASA, the Washington-based National Aeronautics and Space Administration. We are members of the Oceans Across Space and Time Project, which is a program funded by the NASA Astrobiology Program. And we're out here studying analogs or examples of what we think ancient Mars might have been like. So Western Australia is unique because it has both very, very old rocks. So here in the Yilgarn Craton, somewhere around two to three billion years old, as well as highly acidic water. And so those two combinations are things that we see on the surface of other planets. So it's really unique. The U.S. team of researchers has been working with indigenous elders, who've explained the region's so-called dreaming stories, which chart the creation of the land by ancestral spirits. There are many big questions to answer. If life can survive in toxic and hypersaline environments in Western Australia, could it have existed in extreme conditions on other planets? We may never find out, but together science and traditional knowledge could yield valuable clues. Much of the data will help craft PhD and master's theses when the team returns to the United States. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. In other news, an Iranian government official has denied that Tehran was involved in the stabbing of Arthur Salman Rushdie. However, the official Nasar Kanani spokesman for Iran's foreign ministry 
sought to justify the attack in the Islamic Republic's first public comments on the bloodshed. The spokesman said Monday that Iran, in his words, does not consider anyone deserving reproach, blame or even condemnation except for Rushdie himself and his supporters. Iran has in the past denied carrying out other operations abroad targeting dissidents in the years since the country's 1979 Islamic Revolution, even though prosecutors and Western governments have attributed such attacks to Tehran. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You're listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua for in Washington. Kenya's election chief has declared that William Ruto won last week's presidential election. However, chaos erupted at the Electoral Commission tallying center Monday when the chief attempted to make the announcement as four of the seven commissioners disowned the official results. Mohamed Yusuf reports. The head of the IBC, the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, said Monday that candidate William Ruto won 50.49% of the vote, just ahead of his main competitor, Raila Odinga, who got 48.85%. The win was enough for Ruto to avoid a runoff. Shortly afterward, Ruto claimed victory. My gratitude also goes to the people of Kenya, the millions who listened to us, the millions who participated in our campaigns peacefully, the millions who turned up to vote for us. However, Ruto's win was disputed even before the announcement of the results. Raila Odinga's chief election agent, Saitabao Olekonchori, said the electoral commission system had been hacked and the vote totals were rigged. Meanwhile, Juliana Cherera, the vice chair of the electoral commission, said she and the other three commissioners disowned the official results. Because of the opaque nature of how this face has been handled, we therefore cannot take ownership on the results that is going to be announced. However, we have an open door that people can go to court. And because of the same, we urge Kenyans to be peaceful because the rule of the law is going to prevail. To some, the split in the commission cast doubt on the legality of Ruto's victory. Donald Rabala, a Nairobi lawyer who supports Odinga, said any results declared by the election chief are null and void unless he's backed by at least four of the seven members of the electoral commission. However, other lawyers say the chairman, Wafula Chebukati, has the authority to declare a winner on his own. The swearing-in of Kenya's new president is scheduled to take place in two weeks, but any legal challenge could delay the inauguration. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. A controversial resettlement and land distribution effort by Amhara authorities in western Tigray, allowing ethnic Amhara's access to land, is drawing protests from locals in the disputed region. With rare access to the town of Maikadra, reporter Henry Wilkins spoke to ethnic Tigrayans who claim they are being forced from the region and ethnic Amharas who claim they are neglected because of new arrivals. The state-funded Ethiopian Human Rights Commission in Addis Ababa recently told VOA it could investigate claims of land being redistributed unlawfully in the disputed region of western Tigray. 
According to a Reuters report published in June 2021, Amhara regional authorities were encouraging ethnic Amharas to move into Mykadra in western Tigray, an area that has been administrated by the Tigray region for decades. Amhara regional officials claimed half a million ethnic Amharas were forced off their land during the 30-year reign of the previous government, dominated by one of the parties in the ruling coalition, the Tigray People's Liberation Front (TPLF), which held power until 2018. VOA cannot independently verify that claim. The report also said Tigrayans were being illegally forced off their land as part of an effort to move ethnic Amharas into the disputed land, adding to rights groups' concerns of ethnic cleansing. Since then, Amhara officials have been reluctant to give information on the scale of the plan to settle ethnic Amharas in the land previously inhabited by Tigrayans. Some told VOA in May, however, that ethnic Amharas continue to move into the disputed land. But ethnic Tigrayans are not the only ones impacted by ethnic-based land distribution, residents say. Given rare access to Mykadra, a town in western Tigray, VOA found a protest organised by ethnic Amharas against new arrivals from the same ethnic group. Protesters claim long-term residents are being neglected. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Mykadra, Ethiopia. This is Science in a Minute. One of the most popular concepts on the creation of the moon is called the Great Impact Theory. According to the theory, Earth had a serious collision with a Mars-sized planet known as Theia some 4.5 billion years ago. The debris left from the collision formed a circumplanetary disk of material which later, through accretion, formed our moon. New evidence from scientists at ETH Zurich, a research university in Switzerland, supports this theory. The researchers analyzed fragments of lunar meteorites found in Antarctica and discovered chemical signatures of helium and neon, which are two of Earth's rare, native, and stable gases called noble gases. The scientists find that the signature of these gases in samples from the moon's interior show that it received them from Earth in materials that form the moon. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hey there, it's Shauna Renee, also known as the Lady DJ, inviting you to join me every Thursday at 10 and 2200 UTC for today's hit countdown. Each week, I count down the top 20 songs in pop music according to Billboard and Rolling Stone magazines, but more importantly, according to you, the VOA listeners. Again, that's Thursdays at 10 and 2200 UTC right here on VOA1. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and television programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedua for in Washington. Have a wonderful day. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 
The United States joined the host of nations and organizations expressing outrage at the executions of four political activists by Burma's military regime. The United States condemns in the strongest terms the Burma military regime's executions of pro-democracy activists and elected leaders Ko Jimmy, Fayuze Taw, Hia Myung Ong, and Ong Thurazor for the exercise of their fundamental freedoms, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken in a written statement. He noted that since the February 2021 coup in Burma, the regime has perpetuated violence against its own people, killing more than 2,100, displacing more than 700,000, and detaining thousands of innocent people, including members of civil society and journalists. The executions of the four activists occurred after proceedings before a military-controlled court. At a press briefing, State Department spokesperson Ned Price described the executions as a heinous affront to human rights, and he called on all partners and allies to join us in condemning the regime's actions and stepping up pressure on the regime and its supporters. There can be no business as usual with this regime, he said. We urge all countries to ban the sale of military equipment to Burma, to refrain from lending the regime any decree of international credibility, and we call on ASEAN to maintain its important precedent of only allowing Burmese non-political representation at regional events. Spokesperson Price said all options are on the table to cut off the regime's revenue and its ability to perpetuate violence. He added the United States will work with partners to make sure additional steps are coordinated in order to put maximum pressure on the regime and not on the Burmese people. As Secretary of State Blinken stated, the United States joins the people of Burma in their pursuit of freedom and democracy, and calls on the regime to respect the democratic aspirations of the people who have shown they do not want to live one more day under the tyranny of military rule. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 